Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell, and you're listening to episode 97 of the Popecast, a history of the papacy. The only podcast about popes where you'll find non-boring stories on the successors of St. Peter, and a reminder that all the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. Now, we're back from a bit of a hiatus. Thanks for bearing with us. Uh, should be back in the swing of things relatively regularly now again. Uh, we're starting off with, again, a bit of a departure from the normal format, but I hope you'll see that this is a great reason to uh, make an exception. The interview we have for you today is uh, the author of uh, one of the best books, one of the best fiction books that I've read in a long time, um, one that I think it will be very worth your while, um, but we'll be back to our papal bios um, here shortly as well. A couple of things before we jump in. Uh, one, if you're a new or a longtime listener to the show, you'd love to get these new episodes early, some of the bonus content. Um, you've, you can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash thepopecast, but if you'd prefer not to set up a Patreon account, which we totally understand, uh, there's actually uh, some neat ways through our hosting provider that you can actually just subscribe directly through iTunes or Spotify. So if you just prefer to uh, do that natively within within your podcast platform, you should be able to do that now. So feel free to check that out. Uh, there's some some neat swag that you'll get uh, along with that as well. And then also, uh, if you haven't checked it out uh, yet, or if you haven't heard of it yet, if you're a new listener, we have another papal history project that comes in email form called Today in Papal History, which you can sign up for for free or as a paying subscriber at popes.substack.com, such as popes.substack.com. So our guest today is Andrew Gilsmith. Andrew is a, a science fiction writer living in St. Louis, Missouri. He grew up in uh, the golden age of cyberpunk, as he says. Uh, fittingly, his first job out of school was delivering mail for Jeff Bezos. He actually ref- uh, talks about that a little bit in uh, the episode when Jeff was still selling books via listserv. And since then, Andrew's worked in a number of interesting roles, including head of customer experience for the Kentucky Derby, leader of a proposed Hyperloop project in the United States, head of data analysis for a healthcare company, and a senior vice president of sales for a digital marketing agency. And he currently works in publisher development in the programmatic advertising space. He's married to Cheryl and has two young sons and a great Dane. I think all that is still accurate, but uh, regardless, uh, Andrew is the author of a great new book called Our Lady of the Artilex, which you can find a link to in the show notes, and I'll allude to that in, in the show as well. Uh, but highly, highly recommend that. Highly recommend listening to this, uh, this great interview um, for a first book. <laughs> I mean, Andrew really wrote a doozy here. So it's a, a good science fiction uh, novel, thriller, set, uh, you know, futuristic um, story that uh, weaves together faith and science and um, the plight of humans two and a half centuries from now. So uh, without spoiling too much of the interview, uh, and especially the book, we'll get right into it. But we hope you enjoy this interview with Andrew Gilsmith. Andrew Gelsmith, thanks for uh, for joining the Popecast. Thank you, Matt. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, nice. been looking well, forward. I've been looking forward to this. Good, good. Yeah, glad to hear it. Um, I have as well. I'm again. It's kind of like a strange, like fanboy moment for me too, because the reason that you're on is because you wrote this great. Um, I guess you can still call it a new book. It's only been out for a year or so, not even a year. Less. Yeah, Less about time. six months. A little over okay. six months. Yeah, nice. So the book is Our Lady of the Artilex. Um, it's a fantastic sci-fi book. So the first couple of things, I want to 
um, have the the listeners understand who you are, where you're, where you came from, what your story is up to this point um, now, and then the inspiration for the book. And then we can talk about the book itself. So, yeah. So who is Andrew Gilsmith? Well, I'm a, uh, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith. Um, uh, came to it um, through a pretty long and winding road. I think like, like, like most converts do um, grew up in kind of an evangelical um, household. Um, you know, had, had a little bit of, you know, I mean, I, I think this is true of basically every human being on earth, but a little bit of trauma, you know, at a certain point in my life, in my teens, when my mom got brain cancer. And so I went through a period of being pretty angry, um, at God, at the world, at everybody and everything, and, uh, really walked away from faith completely for a while. Um, sort of, (laughs) I, I, I went to college and I, took a class on religion, right? Comparative religion. And I was fascinated by it. It was, you know, the material was just, was, was opening up this whole world. And I thought, well, this is, this is interesting, cool stuff. It's a different perspective. I'm going to learn a lot of things. And this is probably going to be a way for me to prove that God does not exist and just put all of this to bed completely. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is often how it goes. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that, like that, that, that's kind of goes along with, uh, you know, with a comparative religion degree, I'd, I'd say probably more often than not, but I never could completely shake my faith. Um, and so started finding my way back to, I guess what I would call first, a like a desperate agnosticism and then slowly over time, more of a hopeful agnosticism and the person, the personality that really kind of captured my attention at that time was Pope John Paul II. And I just, I was just watching this man, this, this old man who was increasingly infirm, going around the world, preaching the gospel, sharing the good news and standing up for truth, um, in, in the boldest possible way. And I thought there must be something there, you know, (laughs) like there's gotta be something to this. And, and I just kind of felt this you know, this kind of gravitational pull over time toward Catholicism. And it took me a while, but I eventually did go through RCIA and convert not until after I married my wife, who's a, a cradle Catholic. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, uh, yeah. So I know that writing specifically, uh, well, actually to back up, I know that I love that John Paul II has a, I guess you could call it a cameo. It's set far in the future, but he has a, he's like, he's in the background throughout the whole book. I, yeah. I love that part. Um, but writing hasn't been your, I guess still isn't really your, your quote unquote main gig. Um, so how did you, have you always been a writer? Have you always been somebody who's been tinkering around or is that a, a later development? Have you always loved sci-fi? Always Uh, loved sci-fi. Always loved sci-fi and, and fantasy. I mean, I grew up on Tolkien. I, you know, I mean, I, I think I'd read Tolkien like, you know, 10 times cover to cover by the time I was 12. Um, you know, and that's, that's another thing, by the way, I mean, you know, that, that, that kind of gets into your thinking and your DNA too. Right. And it's, it's a very, I mean, as Tolkien himself said, I mean, it's a very Catholic work. Um, it takes time to understand that I think, but, uh, but it's, but it's definitely there. Um, no, I, I, I've worked, um, really in technology for most of my life, data science, uh, digital media, um, you know, kind of got my start, uh, in the early, early days of the internet, my, you know, my sort of like, you know, claim to fame story or my near brush with fame story was my first job out of school was delivering mail for Jeff Bezos when he was still running Amazon out of an office in New York. Like we, you know, like he had these books piled up to the ceiling 
and he was a little socially awkward, you know, I mean, um, uh, I finally got the courage to ask him what he was doing. He said, well, I'm trying to figure out how to sell these books on the internet. And I laughed. I was like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like who would ever, <laughs> like, you know, people weren't even putting credit cards online and, and, you know, why would you sell books of all things? Yeah. You know, I like books, you know, I send out emails, people will write back to me or call me. And then, you know, I take their credit card and I run their credit card through the machine and then I send the books to them. I was like, well, good luck, man. Um, and <laughs> that's, you know, yeah. like about three months later, he picked up and moved to Seattle and, and that was the beginning. Wow. That's remarkable. So you were in New York at the time. Uh, I was delivering. The, that's, that's incredible. I always get a kick out of like the side by side pictures of Jeff Bezos when he founded Amazon somehow looks like 50 in that picture. And now he somehow looks like 35. <laughs> I guess, you know, that's what money can do. But, I guess uh, so. Yeah. Like that. I guess so. Yeah, that's fascinating. So then when did, uh, yeah, when did uh, writing specifically come into it, um, making the transition from being a voracious consumer of sure. sci-fi to writing? Well, a great world? so really, I mean, you know, if you'd asked me when I was a kid, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would have said I want to be a writer. Um, I loved books. I loved these whole imaginal, imaginal worlds, you know, that people would create. And um when I graduated, I mean, you know, like, what can you do with a religion degree? <laughs> you know, I, there's not, I mean, you know, there aren't a lot of, it's, it's, it's certainly not a, a major you choose for career purposes. So, uh, I thought I wanted to be a writer and I was going to go to New York and be a writer. And I actually had an offer to work for, um, a publication in New York. Um, and I was like this close to taking it right out of school. But the problem was the pay was like, I mean, I would have had to have like 12 roommates, you know, and, and, and live in a, you know, live in a, in a, in a, in a glorified closet. Um, and I was like, man, I just don't know. I don't know if I can make this work. And then I got this job offer from this investment bank that hired, oddly enough, hired liberal arts grads to do other things, right? Like trading or sales and marketing business development. Um, and I, and it was a lot more money. And so I was like, well, maybe writing will be a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, I'll write on the side and then, you know, didn't, didn't write, didn't do anything for decades. Um, but it's always been there. Like I've always wanted to do it. And, um, you know, I really, what I, what I really wanted to do was write stories about things that are interesting to me, about themes that are interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me like that, that's faith and science, right. And like trying to, you know, reconcile these two different ways of looking at the world. And that, I, I think that's really in large part what Our Lady of the Artilex is about. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I, that's probably a natural segue to the um, to the book itself. So, I mean, I love it for lots of reasons and obviously Thanks. from Joe. So I encourage everybody Thank listening you. to go and buy it. The link will be in the show notes, all the things. Um, but I, I, I kind of randomly stumbled across it. Um, good tweet man on uh, Twitter. I think, unfortunately, he had his account yeah, sadly, he's, uh, suspended he's in jail. Right. I think he, I, did he create, he created a new one maybe that was a little sneaky, but, but at I any rate, know. I saw, he's like, I know this guy, you should go buy his book. And I remember clicking on it. I was like, heck, it's like this futuristic sci-fi, uh, you know, robots for, for lack of a better term. I mean, I'll let you give a much better synopsis than I'm giving obviously, but, but like, you know, robots are a robot saying he's possessed and, um, seeing an apparition and uh, like, that's pretty intriguing in itself. Um, 
and I so I on a kind of a flyer I bought it and read it and it's it's a like it takes all of the things seriously. The, I think the at the foundational level, what I love the most about it is that it doesn't phone in, you know, uh, Catholicism because that's a core part of it. It doesn't phone in like the depiction of Islam, which plays a big part in it. it doesn't phone in the sci-fi part. Obviously, that was like your your first love, I suppose. Anyways, because what what I always frustrates me in TV shows, and books, and whatever, in you know, fictional works when people who aren't uh, of faith at all or people who just aren't Catholic, like they get the the little things wrong. And in some ways it kind of ruins yeah. the whole thing. Um, but like, but you did it's, I'm, I don't know how uh, you ever got this like in book form because there had to have been so much research that went into it. Uh, but clearly, I mean, you love and respect all the things that went into the book. So I mean, that's a good Jumping off point one, what's the what's a good synopsis of the book? How would you describe it? And then, um, yeah, talk about I mean how you got to to how the story came to be. I suppose. Sure. So <clears throat> it's set about two hundred and fifty years in the future. Um, I think a plausible future. You know, I mean, sure. anytime yeah. you're you're writing about the future, I mean, you've got to have a starting point. Um, and it's set in a world that looks very different from ours. Climate change has been a factor. Um, Politics has changed quite a bit. Probably the biggest change that that people will notice right away is that the United States and Western Europe don't feature very prominently in the story at all. Not that they're not important. They're still obviously part of the backdrop of the world. But the center of power has shifted with the center of population to places like Southeast Asia, China, and Africa. And that was really important to me because... I mean, I think that is what's going to happen, right? I mean, you know, again, we don't know the future, but if you look at the demographic trends, that certainly seems to be where we're going. Well, interestingly enough, Africa is also the place where Christianity and Catholicism in particular is growing the fastest, by far, by far. I mean, Christianity, you know, within 100 to 150 years may in fact be a predominantly African religion Mm -hmm. and Catholicism as well. Right. And I find that very fascinating, and I find that also very comforting on a personal level, mm-hmm. because I look at what's happening in, in the Western world, and, you know, kind of the, the, you know, and again, I don't want to get political, because it's not really, it really isn't political, but the kind of unraveling of our culture, right, and the the loss of common ground, the loss of, you know, unifying stories, well, it's what happens at the end, it's what happens at the end of empires. I'm a big fan of I mean right. I named one of my sons after Gregory the Great. Uh-huh. Reading a great biography on him right now and like the way that the author uh depicts I mean it's it's nonfiction but like goes into what Rome looked like when he lived which is like 500 AD is like startlingly similar. There's there's some lines that Gregory wrote um when he was uh, a young man and then like a patrician in Rome and then later as a bishop too. That I'm like, how did he write this yesterday or 1500 years ago? Because I mean, it's but I mean, to your point, I think um, it's a it's a it's a good one. I mean, our you know our empire is crumbling because we're losing things, but it's, it's natural to something. Absolutely. So so you know what the the other thing that that I I want that I wanted to do in this story was I wanted to look at a world where what I what I believe are the less important divisions and tensions between Catholicism and Islam take a backseat, right? I mean, we've, we fought 
each other a lot. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, right. we've had crusades and we've had invasions of Europe and we've had all kinds of, you know, bloody conflict over the years. But, you know, history has shown that often on the other side of bloody conflict, there is peace and there is a realization of commonality. And we have only to look at the, the post-World War II world, you know, to see some, to see that. And I do believe I have a number of Muslim friends and, you know, one of the things that I have always admired and appreciated about Islam is, is the, the tenacity of the faith, you know, the resistance to um, secularization and also the veneration of the Virgin Mary in Islam, which I think is, is a beautiful thing. And it's, it's not, it's no accident. And so I wanted to, I wanted to show a world where Catholics and Muslims are really more allied than opposed. And specifically what they're allied against is what I think is a far greater threat to both of them. And that is, you know, militant secularism, right? Typically being led by the United States and Europe to a certain extent, also by China. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that kind of a future, I think it would be natural for, for Christians and, and Muslims to, to, to cooperate more. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So that's kind of the, <clears throat> again, that's, yeah, I, that's a good, uh, great backdrop to the story itself. So then what's the, the, like the main plot line of the oh, yeah. uh, book? I mean, again, without revealing any spoilers, cause I mean, it's just like, it was riveting from, from cover to cover. Uh, but what, yeah, what would be the best way you could describe the, the plot without revealing? So it, it begins with, um, an Android, what we call an art elect, which is the next generation Android. Um, that is having a really unusual experience, which is that something is inside him and he doesn't understand it. Something is affecting his consciousness and his thinking. And it's more than just, you know, some kind of a subroutine or a process. And it's not a hack because these things have been engineered to be essentially hacker proof. So if it's not that, what is it? And he doesn't know. He ends up going to um, a, a basilica. This is all happening in Nigeria. So he goes to a basilica in Nigeria and sits there and realizes he he believes he's being possessed. Well, this is, you know, this has never happened before. It's, you know, and some, some of the characters, including the Pope would say this is a theological impossibility. Right. And, and, and I don't, I don't really get into that. I mean, that that's, that's for the theologians to, to discuss. Right. But I mean, you know, it, it's really about what would happen if we created a creature that was worthy of a soul, right? I mean, we can't give them the soul, but what if we created a creature that was so independent and that had a sense of right and wrong and was created in our image, we who are created in God's image, what would happen if God decided to give them the soul? What would we do? How would we even begin to react to something like that? How would we know? And in the background of all of this, um, all of the artifacts are having a reporting of vision. Um, and it's very similar to the vision of Our Lady of Fatima, um, which is, you know, that's something that's really personally important to me. Um, I think it's a really important moment in, in, in world history and in modern history. Um, I think it explains a lot about what's going on in the world today. And if you believe, you know, like, I mean, I, like I do, that, you know, prophecy is, is evergreen, is perennial. It's not usually just like, well, it's just this one moment in time. And then once something happens and you can kind of put it away and forget about it, that it, it has to always be relevant. Then, 
you know, it's not too far to, to go from there to the story, which is what if our lady spoke to, to these creatures, what would she say to them? Why would she, why would she be speaking to them in the first place? And that sets off the mystery. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, I was like getting goosebumps all over. Cause like, it's, it's just a, again, it's, it, it is plausible. That's, I guess that's probably why sci-fi is so popular um, as a genre, but I think you do that super well. And I was, I was, uh, yeah, fascinated by that. So, and I love that you, that you tied in Our Lady of Fatima, uh, just, just again, generally, but I, I never really know. There's these, there's a few things. And again, for listeners who aren't Catholic, maybe you've heard of these, maybe you, maybe you haven't. I assume most of my listeners are, are Catholic or at least first in that type of thing. But like, there's things like the three days of darkness and, uh, the more like fringy beliefs about Our Lady of Fatima and what the prophecies mean and all this stuff. And like, there's, there's obviously merit to those things. And people like John Paul II, Benedict have talked seriously about them, but they're also like gateways to crazy town if people aren't careful. And I think yeah. like there can be really bizarre uh, assumptions about them that it would be literal three days of darkness and that predates precedes apocalypse. But I think again we don't we don't have to get into um the specifics of how you worked that into the story but I like that you pulled those pieces in and made those types of things uh like plausible explanations for those types of things too as like a ultimate fulfillment of while also affecting the wider world. Well, thank you. I I mean like I said it's um you know for those who don't know the story of um Our Lady of Fatima I mean there's some great books on it and I mean I I you know, I can plug them. I'd love to plug them. Um, yeah, you know, the, yeah. Lucia, Lucia in her own words is a great one. Um, there's another one that's just called Our Lady of Fatima. And now I'm forgetting the author, but um, it's like the, it's the classic book on it. And then another one that, that I really liked was called, uh, it's more modern and it's by an Italian journalist um, named Antonio Sochi. And it's called the fourth secret of Fatima. Yeah. I'd never heard of that one before. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, um, uh, you know, really more of an investigation into um, how the Vatican has explained the Fatima revelations over the years. Um, and, you know, again, I mean, it, it's none of these books are, um, I don't think any of these books are, are conspiratorial or, or, or anything like that. And I certainly don't think any of them do anything to undermine faith. Um, but uh those, those, those were big influences on me. That's great. My, um, the Bishop here where I live in Spokane always, uh, he has a big devotion to Our Lady of Lords and the happens to also be the name of our cathedral. He had the devotion before he got here. That was very provident. That's but, cool. But he always talks about, uh, you know, the point of Marian apparitions is always prayer and penance. Usually if it gets outside of those things that like you're on the wrong path. And I think you did, like you did again. You did a good job with uh, bringing that aspect into it as well. And I think like relating to the militant secularism and um, the battle that Islam and Catholicism do against those two. Um, so what? Uh, just in, and just, like in terms of the detail that, and then also like the, the scientific aspect of it too. How much of the phraseology, the concepts, are actually real? I, I like actually don't even know the answer to this. How much of it are actually is actually real and that not many people know about or would know about unless they're deep into that world? And how much of it is like sci-fi dreaming, like the the phaser in Star Trek? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I tried to keep it as plausible and, and real as I could. Um, 
you know, I mean, I, I, I think the science for the most part is pretty, pretty plausible. Um, I mean, you know, again, we're talking about 250 years in the future. It's impossible right. to know what, what's going to happen. I, and, and, you know, I mean, one big question is like, are we even capable of creating truly autonomous, um, you know, general AI, right? And some will say yes. Others will say, no, I don't know. So I took that as just a given. Um, some of the other things like involving electromagnetism and the electrical field, the, the, that, that stuff's, I, I mean, I researched it as best I could. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think tried to keep it as realistic as possible. The Fatima um, stuff and the church stuff, um, again, I think is, it, it's mostly um, true to life. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in, in, certainly not interested in heresy. I'm not interested in you know, doing something. That was my prayer while I was writing the book is like, don't let me write anything that undermines anybody's faith. You know, it's really, and that's harder than you would think in sci-fi. Sure. Just because of the way the genre is set up. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, so a lot of the details about the Fatima apparitions, those are all accurate. There's, there's some other things that are not, I mean, you know, there's no, as far as I know, there's no uh, secret diary of John Paul II you know, in which, you know, Sister Lucia passes him a message about something that's going to happen to him <laughs> years in the future. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I, again, what I tried to do was look at it um, through the lens of, you know, eternal relevance, right, of Marian apparitions. Like, when she speaks to us, it's, I don't think it's just about a specific moment in time. It it may very well be about that moment in time, but it's going to be relevant over and over and over again. Right. And it's always going to tie back to scripture and it's always going to tie back to her son, you know, and to his core message of penance prayer. Um, and so I tried to keep it all rooted in, in, in those ideas. Um, yeah. And again, I think you did a great job of that. One thing that you said that reminded me, so I think, um, I originally, I was super excited to find you on Twitter and I randomly ran across, you were, you kind of, uh, talked a bit a few weeks ago, at least from when we're recording this, um, about how sci-fi doesn't often include religion and how it's such a huge missed opportunity or they just don't take it seriously. But like you said a little bit earlier in the future, the not too distant future to the distant future, it's likely that the world will be filled with, um, as I've heard in other places, like religious Catholics, religious Jews, and just Muslims, because like those are the people who are having 10 children <laughs> and like nobody else is having, you know, any at all, hardly. Right. Um, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about that, about um, why you'd love to see or why sci-fi ought to be taking faith seriously and maybe why you don't think that they do uh, currently. I mean, that's a, it's a great question. And I don't know that I have the answer as to, you know, as to why they don't. Um, but I think it's, it's not an accident, you know? I mean, here's a part of, of people's lives that is so important. I mean, I, I'm one of them, you know? I mean, you know, I haven't, you know, I'm halfway through a master's program in data science. I've worked in technology my whole life. Is that stuff important to me? Yes, it is really important to me. I love science. I love reason. I love, you know, exploring the world, um, uh, you know, it, through that lens. But is it as important to me as my faith? No. And I'm not alone in that even in this country, which is becoming less religious every day, right? Mm -hmm. To say nothing of the rest of the world, which is becoming more religious, right? I mean, that's the thing. We have this very parochial lens, um, I think, in, in the West that, like, we are the world. We're not. We're small, small part of it. 
And as much as faith may be on the decline in the United States and Europe, it is very much not on the decline in Africa, very much not on the decline in, in, in parts of Asia that are growing rapidly. Nigeria, you know, by the end of 2100, maybe the third biggest country in the world. Wow. Okay. And, and it may be, it may be the largest Christian country in the world and the largest Muslim country in the world. Really? At some point. Yeah. Because there's huge populations of both there. So, you know, it, it has always bothered me in science fiction that these stories about the future are told as not only as if religion doesn't exist, but as if it never existed. Right. Yep. And, and yet, what is it that science fiction readers are looking for? I, I, I know what I've always looked for in science fiction is hope, understanding, right? Meaning. I'm trying to, you're trying to make sense of the world, and this is a way to do it through literature and through metaphor. And to exclude this part of, of human life from it, um, I think just really cheapens the whole genre. And another thing that I've noticed in sci-fi is that, you know, as there is less and less discussion of faith and less, I would say, you know, sort of like fair-handed treatment of people of faith, it it tends to get like more filled with existential dread. (laughs) Yep. Right. Like, I mean, and I, and, and Hey, I, I'm as, I'm as much in favor of that in the stories as anybody. I I love stories about existential dread, Um, (laughs) you know, but, um, it's somehow evangelical in its uh, in its absence. Yeah, yeah, and it, it. But you know, it's like, how can you t- how can you talk about these things without without also talking about God, right? How can you tell a story about? You can't. I mean, really, you. How can you tell a story about? You know, sort of the long term fate of humanity. You know, judgment upon us, whether it be because of the consequences of sin or because of our, you know, pollution of the environment or our mistreatment of each other without it having a theological component to it. It always does. But in sci-fi, more often than not, it manifests itself just simply by the absence of any discussion of faith. It's just it's just completely excluded as if as if it's not a factor at all. And I think that's a shame. I think I think it diminishes the genre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that changes. I mean, Obviously your book, but I know that um, I think you had referenced a couple of others, but do you see that happening more often or like are, are authors maybe, well, do you hope that, well, obviously you hope that it happens more often, like people are inspired and granted permission by seeing more of this, but I mean, do you find that it's, it's going to be happening more and more often as people kind of realize that there's something missing from that? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, um, I can't say that I, I, you know, I mean, I'm not a big follower of trends in general, so I can't say, like, I see a trend one way or the other. Um, but I, you know, I just, I feel like if, if, if it's going to change, then Catholics and Muslims and, you know, believing Protestants and Jews, we need to write stories. Right? I mean like you're seeding the public square, you're seeding all of the ground. And, you know, my, my theory is that science fiction fans are thirsting for meaning. They're, they're, they really want to find something that explains all of this. And that makes it an incredibly fertile mission field that unfortunately we tend to ignore. Yeah, it's too bad. It's one of the, it's, it's funny that 
what is uh, saturated is the place that like it tends to bear the least amount of fruit in terms of the the places that we put our you know missionary efforts uh, more broadly. But then here's just this really like have you heard? St- yeah, that's another good question. Is have you heard from readers who uh, not only have not lost faith, but maybe have had that reawakened or curiosity or something? Have you heard from people? I, I just thought of that just now to, to ask you about that. But have you heard from people who have read the book and like had never thought of these types of things ever before? Some, um, you know, any feedback, I mean, look, as an author, you know, especially new author, I mean, any feedback, it's like, you know, you, you soak it up yeah. like a sponge, you know? Um, and yeah, there've been some that have said this has, um, made them think about things a little bit differently. Um, I've, heard from some um, Catholics and from some Muslims that this has strengthened their faith and that they were grateful for it. You know, that there's a story out there that in which they can kind of see themselves. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really write it to convert anyone. I didn't write it to preach at anyone. I just wanted to tell an authentic story that I think is, is really interesting. And I wanted to, yeah, I mean, I wanted to push, push back a little bit on, on how, um, how people in this genre tend to frame reality and what they tend to exclude and what they tend to include. Yeah. No, I think that that's plain too. Um, that's another reason I think that it's so good is that it's, it's not like it doesn't, it, you t- almost talk just as much about Muslim things, Catholic things as you do the scientific things, but it's like, it's the, the cohesive story about it. And I, I'm reminded of, uh, I don't know if you listen to Jim Gaffigan or not, but I remember years ago. I, I, I think I've heard of him. Yeah, so he's he's Catholic and has a bunch of kids, but um, but and he is mostly clean. But somebody's like, oh, you know, how do you feel being the the clean, family friendly comedian? You think that attracts people to your shows? It's like, I hope people come to my shows because I'm funny, not because you know it's like a amen. Yeah, it's like ancillary, but I think that's that's why these types of things are successful, and it's also why things that are are written, quote unquote, to convert people or something aren't because we're you know we have bs detectors all of us and we're like no okay i'm gonna move on to something and yeah there's a lot of bad i mean look there there's there's i've seen some of that stuff right and again no disrespect to any of any of the authors and and in fact on the contrary much respect to them for putting their faith out there and 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 you know doing what they think is right but um yeah, you know, people want to be entertained. They want to hear a good story. They want to have their thinking challenged a little bit, but they certainly don't want to be preached to or 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 you know converted, um, you know, in, in 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 literature and storytelling. I don't think. No. Yeah, I agree. The um, I just happened to run across. I appreciate what you said about the um, say it now, but uh, but like it, Jews, Muslims, Catholics, like it's just it's fertile ground to tell good stories to make good art i actually like literally just two days ago i re-ran i ran across this quote from paul the sixth who i think is one of the most misunderstood misjudged popes of the last hundred years if yeah. not the whole uh the entirety of, of the of church history but he said at the end of vatican two uh to artists specifically he said the world in which we live needs beauty in order to not sink into despair beauty like truth brings joy to the heart of man and is that precious fruit which resists the wear and tear of time? Uh, and then he says, "And all of this is through your hands. May these hands be pure and disinterested. Remember that you are the guardians of beauty in the world. 
May that suffice to free you from tastes which are passing and have no genuine value. From the search after stranger. Wow. Which is like, just wow. so I've never heard just, that one before. That's amazing. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you the link. Um, huh. Maybe I'll, I'll include it in the show notes too. But I think that it, like, it perfectly encapsulates not just what Catholics believe, but like there is a lot of richness and beauty to what Muslims do and how many people just have never, including people in those faiths, have never actually grasped onto what is actually deep there, um, let alone, you know, told a story with that just shot right through it, as opposed to just being a theologian. Yeah, I mean, listen, I um, not I'm not a theologian, you know, um, um, although I'm interested in this stuff, right? And one of the things that you know that I that I love in, in the writings of um, Saint Augustine is he talks about the via pulchritudinus. Mm. Right. The, 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 the way of beauty, it is a path to God, no doubt about it, because true beauty can only come from. Yeah. Um, okay. Shifting gears a little bit. And I, I wanted to make sure to get these in before we ran out of time. These interviews are always, uh, always go way faster because it's always about very They're fun. Stuff. This is, this is very, well, good. this one's really fun. Okay. I, I, yeah. I've been looking forward to this one. Cause yeah, I mean, I've talked to a lot of sci-fi people and, um, <clears throat> Uh, no, but no to pope talk people. to no pope people yet, no pope people. but I've been looking forward to this <laughs> more than most. Nice. Well, thanks. Good. Uh, so yeah, I have as well. So on that kind of on that note, we can we can hone in on the Pope John the Thirty something. John the uh, uh, <laughs> no, I'm trying to remember John the Twenty Seventh. That Twenty Seventh. Okay, good. Yeah. So we can we can get specifically to him. Uh, but generally, I'm just interested to know like the inspirations for the character because the characters were all. Like is excellent characters. Stories can be good without great characters, but they're just made that much better when there's you know, good character development, good interactions, good like depth that you can tell is beyond what's written on the page. So um yeah, I don't I don't know if you had actual specific inspirations for the characters, but where did you kind of come up with Um so yeah, I mean some, right? I mean, you know, there there are parallels in some ways. Um um between the characters and some actual characters in history. But, but mostly what I wanted to do was just um, make characters that, you know, that felt real and, and, you know, were three-dimensional and, you know, had depth. I mean, in the case of, you know, the people in the church, for example, struggled with doubt, you know, I mean, they're not just, you know, pure 100%, you know, believing every second of every day of their lives. They, they're like us, they have their moments. Um, and then, you know, really kind of just put the characters into, into situations and, and, and see what happens. Right. And, and there are different ways to write, you know, um, uh, there are people who plot everything out and plan it and everything is, you know, kind of well-constructed almost from the beginning. I wish to God I could do that. I can't, <laughs> it would make my life so much easier. Um, you know, what I need to do is, like I said, let the characters kind of show me, um, where the story is going to go. Um, there's some characters that were also uh, influenced by um, uh, a Catholic writer who I, I love um, and has written some great works. His name is Malachi Martin, uh, mm, Father yeah. Malachi Martin. I don't know if any, if you're familiar with him, he hasn't been with us for a while now. I think he passed away in I've late seen 90s, a couple early of, 2000s. Yeah, I've seen, I've always meant to read some of his works. I always thought he was a little bit kooky until I saw him on uh, William F. Buckley's old oh, yeah show like all of those old yeah. ones are on youtube i ran across them randomly and they're like they're very highfalutin but yeah. somehow i love them 
and he was a frequent guest in there. So oh, yeah, yeah I've, I mean, I've heard well, of him. He's, yeah, he's, he's a, a Jesuit. Guy. He's a Jesuit in the old school. I mean, you know, incredibly erudite. I don't know how many languages he spoke. I know it was more than 10. Um, wow. He was involved in some of the translation work in the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, supposedly worked in the Vatican Secret Service. Hmm. I mean, we don't know okay. if that's true or not, but was also sure. an exorcist. And um, so, you know, I, I've, I've um, uh, based, I, I guess, the theology of, of exorcism in this book in large part on, on him and, and his writings about it particularly in, in a book he wrote called Hostage to the Devil, um, which was a, is four stories, four stories about four exorcisms um, that he says are, you know, actually happened. Um, okay. um, you know, the, the, the Father Seraphian character, the main character, um, you know, you're never supposed to say this as a writer, but it, I mean, there's a little bit of me in that, you know, I mean, sure. I'm not a priest. I'm not, I'm not as good a person as, as he is. Um but, you know, the struggle that he has between, you know, his scientific curiosity sure. and a mind that just wants to, you know, wants to unravel mystery. Um, but then also understanding that there are limits to human reason, you know, and limits to what we're meant to know um, is something that I've struggled with my whole life. And I probably will struggle with, you know, for the rest of my life. Um, you know, the 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 other, um, I guess, main character, if you want to call it that, is Nimono Mbambu who is, uh, you know, kind of a warrior nun uh, in a way. She's uh, an imperial praetor. Um, she's not really based on anybody. Um, but the more that I wrote about her, I mean, she was originally going to be kind of a, a, a minor character in the story, but the more I wrote about her, the more I liked her. And so I yeah. wanted to get to know her better. And I, th I think she's pretty interesting. Yeah. No, I, they're, uh, those are two of my favorites as well. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing about that. I'm always I'm always curious about that type of thing. And I love that so many writers just do what you're you're saying. Like I don't have a an agenda, so to speak, with this person. I'm just gonna like give them some it's like your kids almost. Um like I'm just gonna make you <laughs> and then see what you do and we're gonna write about it. Um I just I yeah, I always find that super fascinating. So I like I said, it's a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, like, you know, there are writers who sit down and they have an outline and they go from point A, B, C, D, all the way through Z. And they're incredibly disciplined about it. And man, do I admire people who can do that. I mean, I don't know how you could do it. I don't know how you could sit down at the beginning of a story and know everything that's going to happen, you know? Right. Yeah. It's it makes work it, for it me. Seems like it, yeah. It seems like it wouldn't make it as interesting somehow. It would be edifying for you, the writer too. Much. I, I think so. I mean, it, well, for one thing, it makes it more fun. You know, because because you're kind of you know you're entertaining yourself as you're going through it. <laughs> if if I knew exactly what was going to happen at every minute in the story, it might start to feel like writing a term paper. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So on the subject of the the Pope in this story, so he's I mean he's a bit player. He's not a a main character stretch, but um, very far from the kind of man that Jump on Second was. Um. Seems like kind of a wishy washy, uh, very image conscious. Um, PR minded that, but yeah, I mean, what went into to that Pope? Like, was there anything beyond um, just kind of what was what was written? Was it was it just kind of a to fulfill a role, or was there something more broadly with how you hope to depict the leadership? I suppose. Yeah, I was you know I was hesitant with this because I you know I, I'm um, I, I'm a loyal and obedient Catholic, and 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 so my 
The Pope has my loyalty, no matter who it is. But they're also flawed humans, and there have been good ones and bad ones. As I mean, you're, 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 I think your po- your podcast focuses on the on the good ones, which is good. Both, yeah, a little of both, yeah. But you know, they 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 are humans, and they make mistakes, and they're subject to um, you know the same weaknesses that we all are. And I don't. When I was writing him, you know, I really wanted to avoid making him a caricature. I mean, I would want that for anybody, but certainly, sure. you know, depicting a pope, I wouldn't want that. And I don't think of him as a bad guy at all in this. I think he, you know, to I can't even imagine the 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 the, the weight of that responsibility of leading the global church, the universal church. I mean, it's just got to be crushing every day. And, you know, because you're responsible for the spiritual well-being of the church, but you also have practical concerns. You know, like in this case, he is really interested in reestablishing diplomatic ties with China and relaunching the faith in China. You know, in within his lifetime, you know, tens of millions of Christians in China had been killed. And the faith had essentially been extinguished there. And I, you know, I, I think his ambition is noble. Where I think he kind of goes wrong is probably a little bit too much self-will, you know, in it, and perhaps not enough trust in, um, you know, in in our Lord and in our Lady. I was going to say there was a lot of fear that I like sensed whenever he was in conversation with um, the other characters. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I tried to imagine what it would be like, right? Like, you know, if, if there was a calamity of that sort, right? And, you know, tens of millions of people had been killed, tens of millions of Catholics, Christians had been killed. And then you have an opportunity to restart. That's not to be taken lightly. That's not right. something you would take lightly. You would, you would, it could become an all-consuming passion. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was, again, I was just curious about that. And I like it, it did have kind of echoes to what we see now too, for all, for all we know. And that's just more broadly what I always love about papal history in general. One, that the same problems occur over and over and over again. And so we should be freaking out that the world's going to look like the world was going to end 200 years ago, a thousand years ago, always hundred years ago. But then also that, like, like you said, the popes are men. And uh, flawed, and life is messy, and the church is messy, and there's nothing like there's always a crisis going on someplace. And you can have holy men who are terrible administrators, great administrators who are absolutely terrible people, um, and everything in between. And I like I think there's a lot of beauty in that because none of them have uh, forsaken the faith um, when it counted, which I right. Yeah, I, so I, I have I appreciated the de- the depiction of the Pope. It, it was some good food for thought. Um, well, it's going to get, look, there's a sequel coming, you know, this is not the end ooh, of the story. Right. Um, and you know, it, it, well, I don't want to spoil it, you know, for the audience, but, but, you know, um, I would say that Vatican politics, uh, will probably be, play a bigger role in the second book, even in the first. All right. You know? Yeah. That's a, um, well, so that's actually a, a good segue to the, we've been going for almost 45 minutes now, which um, where it all went. Like, it always feels like the first five minutes. I know. Like, how are we going to fill all this time? And then boom, I know. We're, 
We're there. So, uh, yeah, perfect segue. What's in the pipeline? I know that you have a manuscript, but it's not for the sequel, but the sequel is still on the docket as well. So what's, definitely. What's yeah. There? I mean, so I've got another book finished. It's with the editor now, and I think it'll be out in January. Um, mm-hmm. And it's called uh, The Final Season. It is um, part of a series that I'm um, calling Planet Gallywood. Um uh, so it's kind of, it's, you know, it's a little bit of like a mashup of the Truman show and the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Um, and it's also, it, it's also definitely, um, uh, satire on Hollywood, you know, okay. and, and, uh, you know, kind of what happens within the studio system and kind of behind the doors of, of media and entertainment business. Um, it's not, this is not, uh, I would not say that this is a Catholic book. But it does actually have some. It's it. It does actually deal with some of the same themes. Funnily yeah. enough, I mean, I I just can't seem to get away from them about like sure. you know purpose and meaning and um you know uh, what is what it what are, what are we supposed to do with the gifts that we have? Um, and it's shorter. Um, I think you know Our Lady of the Artilex was a little over a hundred thousand words. This one's just a little under fifty thousand. So it's you know it'll be a much easier read. Um, uh, but I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about that one. And then uh, after that, you know, I hope to be able to get um, the sequel out sometime in 2023 or maybe 24. I, you know, the, the reality, Matt, is like, I just, I needed a break from mm-hmm. it because it's heavy stuff. Sure. You know, and it, it was just really, you know, taxing mentally, intellectually, spiritually, however you want to put it. And so I, I was, I started writing the sequel right away and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I just can't. I'm not, I'm not in the right place in any of those ways. And so that's why I wrote the other one. Cause I just needed to do something light. Sure. Well, that's, that's very interesting. Does the, does the sequel have a title yet? Or is it still not yet? No, I mean, it's, I, you know, my ten, my working title on it is um, the Lucifer particles. Ooh, um, because nice. that's kind of the, the big mystery that's still hanging um, at the end of this book. Um, but I don't know if that'll be the title or not. Probably that's, not. That's super exciting. Well, yeah, I for one am very excited about it. Um, I shared it. I shared the book with a coworker, who she currently lives in France, and so she'll hop on a train and you know have three, four hours to kill as she's going wherever. Um, so I had a lot of time to read. So she actually finished the book before I did. I started it before she had it. Told us to read it. Oh wow! Oh, the great. Um, so hopefully there'll be lots more people who <laughs> who pick it up and read it. So uh, once again, Thank yeah, you. the the link to the book is in the show notes. Um, where can people find you? Uh, what other than the, the new books, um, and this current book, anything you'd like to plug or closing thoughts? No, I mean, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, um, at Andrew Gilsmith. Um, I'm on Goodreads a lot and I love, you know, interacting with readers there. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, you know, I've worked in social media my whole life, but I mean, I'm like, I don't, I'm not on it a lot. Like I, I have a Facebook account, I think somewhere, but I mean, I'm never on that. Um, and I don't have a website up yet. I just haven't gotten around to it. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, hopefully, hopefully you won't need to, um, or it's, I mean, it's obviously, you know, gaining some good traction without all of that, but I always find that, that, uh, it's a great irony. Social habit. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, you know, when you see how the sausage is made, it, diminishes your appetite for sausage <laughs> right yeah <laughs> perfect well awesome well so this wraps up the uh free portion i guess you could call it but for of course for our paying subscribers we always like to and our patreon uh supporters we like to save 
last juicy question for just them. So head on over. I think I'm trying. I, I'm I like switched. Sorry. Speaking of sausage being made, I switched like hosting providers. So there should be like a way to subscribe on iTunes or in Spotify without signing up on Instagram. So go investigate that, uh, dear listeners. Uh, so we're gonna head over to the the paid uh, block now. But we thank you for listening. Oh well, you know I, I, I'm sure you could you could imagine I could talk about this stuff all day. I know we're we're hitting up on, right on an hour. So thanks again for for coming on the show. Would love to have you back on once the your other books are um, available. Thanks, I'm I'm really excited to it. So um, you said January. What was the title of the the next one coming out? The next one's called the Final Season. Planet oh. Galleywood, number one. Will that be like on pre-order on Amazon or something like that? When I, don't, will... I don't know. I haven't figured all that stuff out yet. Still with the editor. I got to get a cover designed. So there are a few few little st- steps between here and there. But um, yeah, I think it'll probably probably be pre-order on Amazon. Yeah. Thanks again for coming, Andrew. All right. Thanks, Matt. Well, that does it for the interview and for today's episode. Uh, loved having Andrew on. I hope uh, you enjoyed this as much as I did. So a couple of quick housekeeping things as mentioned uh, a couple of times earlier. So a link to get Andrew's book or lady of the art Alex, is in the show notes here at, uh, on, on this episode, um, as well as a couple of other links, the, the quote from Paul, the six that I mentioned earlier, a couple of the other um, items in Andrew's book that, uh, he referenced as, as things that helped him write it, um, as other good works to, um, you know, it's just kind of reference works or good things to, to know about. Uh, and then also I'll, I'll include a link to his, his Twitter profile as well and good, Goodreads um, in case you want to follow him in either of those places. So thank you again for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Popecast. And as always, remember, that although these are strange times we live in, they're no stranger than an age's past or in the future, we might say today. Until next time.